this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we talk about Aaron Rodgers' crazy cleanse and some of the cleanses that Sue and I have tried. Plus, the legendary Fritz Coleman. He talks about his early days as a DJ, his days as a stand-up comic, and 40 years as LA's weatherman on KNBC Channel 4. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple and Spotify, and feel free to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. Sue, good morning. How's it going? It's good. It's still cold. It's, you know, it's actually warm outside and it's freezing in my house. Yeah. Yeah. You always wear the ski cap. Always got the ski cap on. So uh, I'm excited about today's show. Fritz Coleman's going to join us, who is an absolute uh, legend in Los Angeles. I wanted to buy. Have you ever done a cleanse? Yes, I have. Okay, now describe your cleanse that you did, because I've got an extreme one I just read about that I want to describe, but describe yours. Okay, so it's probably, God, it's got to be like maybe 30 years ago. It was very, very popular here in Los Angeles to do the lemonade lemonade diet, basically. So okay. it, it, was, um, it was lemon juice and water. Um, a little cayenne pepper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when this thing went around. This okay. thing came back around even before 30 years ago. Right. And you would drink that for 10 days along with laxative tea. Oof. I know. It's just horrific. And uh, I did it with my roommate who was very much into doing. I mean, she used to do it all the time. And um, yeah. And, you'd, and, and, and do you was, feel like it worked? Well, um, you, you definitely lost weight for sure. And, um, if that didn't clean you out, I don't know what would have, I mean, well, it's funny you say that because did you read about the Aaron Rodgers postseason cleanse? Um, no, I probably have a snarky comment to that, but what was it? So it's called Pancha Karma. And this is from. Um, he talked about this this week. Um, it's a cleanse that he did. Uh, he says a method of cleansing the body of all the unwanted waste and lubricating it. So I've got a list of the things that he did. Tell me if this is a cleanse you would try. First, uh, the first step is called vomit. And it does mean forced vomiting. The second step is verichin, and it means forced diarrhea. The third step is basti. It means medicated enema. The next step is nausea, nasal administration of substances, 
And then the last step is Raktamokashana, which is bloodletting, which sounds terrifying to me. This is what he says he did after the season was over. All of that sounds like something that would happen if you were being held hostage somewhere, <laughs> like in Guantanamo. Guantanamo, yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do with this guy? He this won't is, this give is, up this any is worse than Lawrence Olivier's character in Marathon Man. <laughs> is it safe? Is it safe? Oh, that is just disgusting. And talk about that it's named Karma. I mean, I don't know. I, I think his karma, you know, kind of came around anyway with with what happened with him in in uh, the playoffs. But, yeah. Um no, I I uh god. It it sounds horrific. He is such a weird dude. And obviously there was the, you know, the the whole vaccine thing and whether he was going to get it or didn't get it or said he did and really didn't and all that stuff. Uh it it every week he'd do an interview on this Pat McAfee radio show and would stir up more shit. Um, and this now is the latest thing. He also, by the way, sent out a, a post this week with a roomy quote. So here's what I don't understand. So he, uh, during a Manning cast appearance this year, he got out the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which is, you know, a, a hardcore right wing survivalist kind of, I mean, it's, it mm-hmm. definitely says something to the right. Then at the end of the season, he starts quoting Rumi and doing these, I guess, Ayurvedic uh, cleanses. I mean, there, it, what is he's such an odd dude. I mean, I really knew I didn't really know much about him, um, about his personal life. I mean, I remember some years ago he had a feud with his brother who was on yep. The Bachelor and they weren't talking to one another. And um, and that was like the first sign of something a little maybe off with him. Yes. Not that not talking to your brother is a weird thing, but there was something, it seemed a little bizarre, just yeah. the, the, everything that surrounded it. And then, you know, didn't really hear anything about his personal life. And, you know, he's dating this person. Oh, he, he was engaged to a lot of people, one after another, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, apparently, he's not with... Um, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, apparently she broke off the uh, engagement. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. And all of a sudden, you just keep on hearing one weird thing after another with this guy. I don't know. Is he having a breakdown? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. He seems. He seems out there. He seems out there. One of the reasons I wanted to bring up this cleanse is that I did one, which was probably in the. 2000s, some, sometime in the 2000s, I went to a place called the We Care Spa. It's out in uh, uh, Desert Hot Springs. So mm-hmm. the idea of this one is you basically just don't eat. You drink uh, like a little juice. You drink um, a little soup. You take a lot of uh, supplements, uh, vitamins, stuff like that, but you have no meals for a week, for a week. And then every day you have a colonoscopy. Every day? I'm sorry, not a col- <laughs> You have a colonic. A colonic, yeah, not a, col- not a colonoscopy. Oh my God. Just, That's a much I, more I, extreme I, version. 
Ow, ow, ow. (laughs) Yeah. Every day you have a colonic, which I don't know is good for you or not. I got it. All right. I have to tell you something. Years ago, I had something going on with me where I had to like pee all the time. And I went to all these doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And then someone, um, someone that I worked with um, who looked very, very unhealthy. Okay. (laughs) Mind you. Um, He was a, he was into um, uh, macro by he was a macrobiotic. He ate very uh, allegedly very, very healthy food. Right. He looked so sick. Yes. Um, Anyway. So he said, Oh, you got to go get a colonic. So I went and I, I walked in the room and I see this like <laughs> contraption, right? It's like a water slide, like, like, and it, it, it actually looked like a water slide for your ass, basically. Okay. And the, the, I don't know, what do you call her? Um, the I don't even like colonic the colonic technician or yeah. what, whatever you call her. Yeah. So she starts talking to me, like, as it's kind of happening, like, like having like trying to have like casual conversation <laughs> with me. Right. And uh, I'm like, so how's your day been? Ah, you know, it was like, ah, ah, you know, it's like, and then the force of the water yeah. inside of you, it's it was, intense, yeah. it was intense. So what happened was I, after it was over, they, they, she she tells me, you know, why don't you just like sit in this room, go into, so I had to go into the bathroom and she says, you know, just sit there for a little bit. And when you're feeling okay, um, you know, get dressed and, and leave. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just couldn't get off the toilet. I was like, there's no way in the world. I said, I may have to sleep here. I mean, I can't, I can't leave. And every time I thought I could leave, I felt like this grumbling and I'm sorry to be so graphic, but it was like, oh my God, I, I, I didn't even know how long I was sitting there. And then right. I felt like I was like on acid. It was like, have I been here 10 minutes or have I been here three hours? <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, she probably has other patients coming in. Yeah. I can't stay here. So I finally, finally feel like, okay, I can leave. And I get up, I get dressed. I go to the reception desk. And as I'm walking out, I start to feel the grumbling again. Oh, and I, no. I, I, li- I was in Manhattan, but I yeah. lived in Queens. So oh, I had to get God. on a subway to go home. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. And I turned around like frantic that I was just going to like crap. In yeah, my pants. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I, I, I turned and I looked at the receptionist and I, and I'm sure the look I gave her, I'm sure she had seen, She's seen many before. People. Yeah. Yeah. So she just, she didn't even say anything. She just pointed to where the bathroom was. <laughs> so I go to that and I'm like, okay, Okay, I can I can go home. And I was just freaking out the whole time. I, I'm on the subway and I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna shit on the subway. This is horrible. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I probably wouldn't be the only person to shit on the subway. No, no, that's true. That's I'd true. probably be in, in 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 a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say good company. And I finally did make it home. But one thing, the reason why I brought it up was to tell the story, of course. Right, of course. I, but the 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 technician said to me, You should do this like every other day. And Every other at, day? Yes. And I looked at her and I said, isn't there some stuff that should just stay there? <laughs> like, because you're, 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 it right. seems well, like. Well, that's, that, this is the thing about it is that supposedly it, it washes out all, and they also call it colon irrigation. 
supposedly it washes out a lot of the good stuff that you need. Like, that lines, that lines your insides, you right, know, you right. need some of that stuff there to protect you. Yeah. But I did this for a week. And at the end of it, I will say this. I was high as a kite. So every day, ate virtually nothing, just had some fluids. Um, every day, got a colonic. And at the end of it, I mean, I assume I was incredibly, uh, there was nothing in my system at all at that point. High as a kite. Like I had this really mental, emotional high. So I, I've always assumed that something good happened there. I would never do it again, but I assumed that in the We Care Spa, I looked them up just before we uh, came on the show. Mm-hmm. They still exist. They're still out there. They're still doing their thing. So it, it must work for some people, but the, uh, the Aaron Rodgers one is just, in fact, you know, here's how far Aaron Rodgers has fallen. So yesterday we were playing a game on the, on ESPN with, I was playing with John Ireland and I was giving him clues to quarterbacks. Uh, and he was supposed to guess the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't think of one that was on this list. And I said, let me give you a hint. Jackass. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> So, so that's how far Aaron Rodgers has fallen in the world. And I don't blame his brother. I now wonder if he disowned his brother or if his brother disowned him. Yeah. Cause he just, he went off the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I just can, I can only, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in like the locker room with him because I'm sure it, there's a lot of tension. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, all that is a way of introducing our guest, Fritz Coleman. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you this is the first time colonics were talked about before he was introduced. Our guest today started his career as a DJ in Buffalo before coming to L.A. to work as a stand-up comic back in 1982. He ultimately became the TV weatherman for KNBC Channel 4, where he gave us his daily forecast for 40 years. Since retiring in 2020, he has been co-hosting the Media Path podcast with his uh, co-host, Louise Polenka. The great Fritz Coleman joins us. Fritz, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy to, uh, to join you. Happy to see Sue. We have lots of priors. We have lots of history. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. Well, first, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk, you're from Pittsburgh. Philadelphia. Oh, is that right? Your, Wikipedia your, screwed that up. Yeah, Wikipedia cannot be trusted. Cannot be trusted. Now, can you can you tell them, hey, you screwed up, and they'll change it, or once it's I in, don't it's know in. if you can or not. I I don't know. Is that legal? I don't. I know. Could I just say, can I speak to the Wikipedia manager, please? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know if you can or not. So you started as a uh, as a DJ, and uh, I started as a DJ. I loved uh, the the radio business from the very jump. Um, Where are you from? You have kind of an East Coast tinge to your accent. I'm actually from Toledo, Ohio. Oh, okay. Well, you were close. Sue's from New York. I'm from Toledo. You're from Philly. Uh, my aunt Madge used to run numbers for the mob in Philly. I remember going out for <laughs> oh, nice. a well, walk with her every morning when I was a little kid. My aunt Madge would waddle down the street with the numbers. It was awesome. Well, my parents probably had some interaction with her. So. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Uh, so did you, what, what kind of music did you play when you were a DJ? What was your well, form? I, I started my radio career working for Armed Forces Network. I was in the Navy for four years. 
and got my first job there. And when I got out, I was a top 40 DJ for 15 years. I worked at WIFI, which was a, which was one of the first FM rocks, uh, top 40 rocks that what they called CHR contemporary hit radio. Yeah. And then I went and worked at uh, WHEN in Syracuse, New York. And then I went to WKBW in Buffalo, which was a 50,000 watt clear channel station. And uh, I played rock and roll. Do you remember the first, because I do, I remember the first single I played when I was a disc jockey at 93.2 WRQN in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I played Lionel Richie, Hello. Do you remember the very that's first single great. that you played? I do not, but that's, that's a great memory. Although I will tell you this, that uh, first of all, you probably, when you're in the car, talk up vocals like you used to, right? Oh, yeah. You walk them up you and try to hit the you post. You walk them up to the vocal. Yeah. And people think you're nuts. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I, but I, I remember the lengths of songs. I remember the length of the intro to the vocal on many songs. Yep. Um, it's crazy what sticks in your head after yeah. playing them over and over and over again. So here's the, here's the thing about being a disc jockey, a music disc jockey is back in the day, uh, you would, try to stop talking just before the vocal on the record started. And we called that hitting the post. And there was nothing more satisfying <laughs> than hitting a post. Yeah. And you'd practice. And when I got into it, they didn't have carts. We had carts later, but we had records. We, we had to, you know, track 45s and you'd sit there and slip the 45 and practice to talk up over and over again. Oh, wow. And I know it was really, uh, uh, it was crazy. So when when I want to get back to when you were doing uh, Armed Forces Radio, um, where where were you? Where were you stationed? I was on. Uh, I never uh, I never did the Adrian Cronauer bit from Good Morning Vietnam. He was at a land station in Saigon. I was on a ship. I was on an aircraft carrier for three and a half years, and we were based out of Norfolk, Virginia. And I ended up doing two European cruises, two ten month. European cruises. So we would go out on a ship. I was on an aircraft carrier with 5,000 guys. And, um, uh, you know, we would go out and this was before satellites and microwaves and all that. So we would record radio shows and then record television newscasts and they would be lifted by helicopter and taken to the other ships in the flotilla. So every day I got to do a radio show in the morning, six to 10. I used to do the news and I used to do the weather in the news. And the beautiful thing about that was I knew nothing about weather. Uh, but in the Navy, they didn't care. As long as you showed up and you were what they called squared away, you had shine shoes and had a good attitude. They didn't care if you knew anything about it or not, which coincidentally is exactly how I got my job doing the weather in LA. <laughs> I didn't know anything about weather, but my boss said, fine, there's no weather here. Just, you know, have a good attitude about your work. So that's how I got the job. So I read that you, 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 you basically auditioned, right? You had to come in and, and do an audition. You mean for the channel four job? Yes. This is a true story. People think I'm BSing them, but this is a true story. So what year did you come out to L.A.? You, you, I think you were early 80s, too, right? Because I remember running into you at the improv in like 1983 or four. Is that right? I came out in 80 and stayed till 84, moved back to New York and then came back out in 91. Yeah, yeah, so I was yeah, here in the early 80s. Yes. We all did the same open mics. 
So uh, I, in 1982, I had finally become a paid regular at the comedy store, meaning you made $12 to do a 20-minute set a couple of times a week. And my friend that worked at NBC, John Beard, who was an anchorman at NBC, then he went to anchor at Fox. I had worked with in radio for years in Buffalo and Syracuse. He called me one time and he was out here working at Channel 4 and he said, I'm going to bring my boss down to see you at the comedy store tonight. So we got him some seats. And this was a Friday night. And so I did my show. And within my set, I had a couple of anecdotes about doing the weather in the Navy, but not knowing anything about it. And after the show, I went back to meet my friend's boss and his boss's wife. And the guy said, this is a very odd question, but do you have any desire to come to Channel 4 and do some vacation relief work for me. I need a guy to fill in doing weather on weekends and during vacations. I have a main weather guy that hasn't had a vacation in a year. Would you have any interest in doing that? And, you know, I was making, as you were, $40 a week at the comedy store. I said, oh, my God, when do you want me to start? I said, but keep in mind, I don't know anything about weather. And he said, that's perfect. There's no weather here. This will work out great. <laughs> so um, uh, I, I, I had to audition. That was a Friday night. So I auditioned the following Tuesday, went over to Channel 4 and faked my way through a weather forecast. And I was told Thursday I had the job. And I got hired and I did two years of vacation relief filling in for the main guys. And then two years later, my predecessor left and went over to CBS and I was given the main job and I retired just shy of 40 years. Honest to God, I always tell people it was the greatest stroke of show business luck since that woman was discovered at Schwab's pharmacy. <laughs> that, uh, really, it's a true story. So, so what gives you the, cause you did stand up, who were like some of the big names that were in the clubs when you were doing stand up? other than Fritz Coleman and Sue oh, Polanski, yeah. which were big I, I would bet, I would bet that my, mine are very similar to Sue's because she came out of the New York school. And I think the New York school, people like Seinfeld and Larry Miller and Paul Reiser and those guys all sort of took Robert Klein and expanded into their own direction. So Robert Klein was a huge influence on me because I just thought he was just so smart and, you know, he was Second City and improvisational. So George Carlin and Robert Klein were the two guys that made me want to made me want to do this. And then I'm I love other people for other things, Robin Williams and all the things, all the people everybody else loves, you know. But like Freddie Prinze was around. Yeah, he he yeah. was in the clubs when you were when you oh, were. No, I, I was. Uh, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't answer the question right. He that was just after the Letterman, Leno, Freddie Prinze era. Okay. You know, Letterman had gotten his first show on NBC in the morning. Yeah. And Leno was already being a guest on Dave's show and getting his own fame. And so they weren't in the rooms quite enough. But there were, you know, people that were, uh, you know, George Miller and Johnny Dark and all the peripheral guys from the Letterman-Leno school were still there, Sue. And so I knew those guys, but I was, I was about a year late and it was... Uh, it was a year after the strike that I that I started going into the comedy store for open mics and stuff. So I just missed that whole big wave by about a year. So what is it with uh, comedians um, and ex being ex weathermen? So Letterman was a weatherman. I know, and yeah. Carson was too, wasn't he? 
Did Carson? Do I, I don't know if he was. Letterman was. I mean, I used to see tapes of him. He was so funny, and you knew that he had something more special than being a weatherman. And I hear, and you probably heard these same stories too. He he used to MC at the comedy store more than anything else, and he was so fast and uh, so improvisational and. Uh, his crowd work was stellar and people knew that he was going to do something in TV because he was just too good. He was too, you know, he wasn't what you call a classic standup, but he was a great manipulator of the audience. So did you come as a weatherman? Did you come after Pat Sajak or did you work with I Pat was, Sajak? I was, How'd that I work? was once removed from Pat. The guy whose place I took, Kevin O'Connell, was the guy that took Pat's place when Pat decided to do um, uh, both versions of Wheel of Fortune to start, which was the, the network version and then the syndicated version. And this is so funny because Pat Sajak ruined it for the rest of us because they went to him after he'd been, after he'd been doing um, uh, wheel for a while. He was doing the weather and wheel of fortune for a while. The bosses at NBC went to him and said, Pat, we think you're dividing your time. You're, you're dividing your attention a little too much. We want you to pick one job or the other, but you can't do both anymore. And they were deferring to him thinking that he would have the good sense to always take the job that would never get canceled, the weather. And there's a chance that, you know, wheel of fortune would get canceled. And Pat said, okay, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the game show, which was, now he makes $30 million a year and, you know, years Works later. four days a month. Yeah. So from that point on, because he screwed them out of that job, they wouldn't let any of us audition. You know, we all had opportunities to host game shows and stuff. They said, absolutely not. So he, he messed it up for the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but my first Tonight Show, um, I was with Jay Leno, actually. Yeah. And you were backstage. Yep. You were the last person that I talked to before I went out to do my set. Oh, wow. Do you remember? I remember talking to you. I didn't know that I was the last person. That's a, that puts a lot of pressure on me. But that was <laughs> fun in those days. They used to let you hang around backstage, but then 9-11 happened and stuff got really weird. And so you couldn't go backstage anymore. Well, it was great. It was very comforting for me uh, because I knew you. I and, mean, and it's it hard was to explain to people what a moment like that is in your life as a stand-up. It's, it's surreal. Yeah. I mean, cause the, I mean, for me anyway, it's like, Oh God, what if I forget what I'm going to say? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I lose my transition and, you know, cause I, I mean, I've seen comedians and they're like, uh, Oh, okay. So, uh, it's really, really nice to be here. And, you know, as soon as they say that in the <laughs> middle of their set, yeah. they have no idea where they are. No, no. And I, the first appearance I did, I did with Johnny and I was bumped twice before I got on, which was a nightmare. The first time Charles Grodin got too verbose and wouldn't shut up, so they blew out the comedian. The comedian <laughs> was always the middle act. It went on like 10 after 12 for six minutes. And if the headliner uh, went long, you would always get bumped. So Charles Grodin wouldn't shut up, so I got bumped from him. And the second time, uh, Heather Locklear had just had some recent uh, biological enhancements, and Johnny couldn't stop flirting with her. So she... <laughs> uh, went on forever. And I got bumped twice to the point where the third time I finally got on, I never even called my family. I say, if I get on, I'll call you. You'll watch the tape. You know, it was so fun. You know, you mentioned Johnny, uh, you 
worked for 40 years uh, in your role. I've, I've had the good fortune of being on for 25 years in LA. There's something to be said for, and I always think Regis Philbin's another good example of this, as wearing well as a personality. You wear really well. You know, it's more of a marathon. It's less of a sprint. And that's the one of the gifts I think that great broadcasters have. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I think that's a great observation, not just for, for me, for anybody. And people say, what do you attribute your longevity to? And I say, I don't know. People just over a period of time and uh, have accepted you into their home and they feel like they know you. And it's uh, and what we do, what you do, what I do, Steve, is we break the fourth wall. It's the only kind of television where you break the fourth wall in the news. And that's very intimate. Meaning you're, you're looking right into the camera and you're talking to the people at home like they're one person. So if you can establish that intimacy, it's a really a great friendship. And then over time, that's the value you get. I mean, if, you know, from contract to contract, if people connect with you, that's, that's what you get. So you're absolutely right. And, uh, I don't, you know, most people, I don't think Carson was as conscious of it. You know, when I really learned the value of Carson's charisma, Hmm. was when I would listen to the old episodes on Sirius XM. There was no video, but you would hear his voice and you could just feel it. I mean, he had such astonishing connection with the audience. It was low key. It was comfortable. Interesting. Hmm. So um, you opened, I mean, let's go back to your stand-up career because I saw that you had opened for Ray Charles mm-hmm. and Debbie Reynolds. Yep. What? Did you get to hang out with them at all? No, or was it just that's a you funny story about Ray Charles, the, 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 the Ray Charles story. I was uh, booked by the William Morris agency and they said, Hey, you want to open for Ray Charles? I said, I will open for Ray Charles for free. If I can just get my picture taken with him after the show. He said, no problem. Of course you get your picture taken. So I, I, I did my set and it was, it was fun. You know, you know how opening acts are. You people are coming in and, 50% of the people aren't paying attention, but I, I survived it. And I went backstage and I didn't even listen to his concert because I was so intent on positioning myself so that I could get this picture taken when he was getting off stage. So uh, I, I sat backstage and he did the show and he doesn't do any encores, but his last song, which was like uh, America, the beautiful or whatever he does or Georgia on my mind, his assistants, he's got like, a half dozen large African-American security guys have already opened the back door to the Universal Amphitheater hmm. and, the, and the limousine is parked and running <laughs> so that when he finishes that song, he walks out of the building, gets in the car, and before the applause stops, he's halfway to Malibu by that time. So I'm standing by the door and I'm going, but 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 I'm going to get my picture taken with Ray Charles. And these guys elbowed me out of the way. Mr. Charles is not getting his picture taken with you. I went right out to the car. So it was a great disappointment in my life. But opening for him was fun. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. And, and and did you get to hang with Debbie Reynolds at all? Because she seemed like she, she was, was a hoot. Very, she's a very funny woman. Do you know her at all? I, I don't, but um, just based on everything I've read about and a, and a fan and knowing yeah. that she was uh, Carrie's mom. So I opened for her. I opened for her uh, at a fundraiser for the Orange County Performing Arts Center. And my job was to do a half hour and then walk off the stage gather up three dozen red roses, bring them back to the center stage, introduce Debbie, 
hand her the microphone and uh, may I use bad language on this show? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, this, uh, hand her the microphone and the, and the roses and make a hasty exit. So I introduce Debbie and she comes out. She doesn't take the microphone and the flowers, but she gets right up in my face and cups my face in her hands. And these warm, beautiful hands and her eye contact was like, could melt a glacier. And I, I thought I was going to faint. I, I, I thought, and I'm thinking to myself, I feel like Eddie Fisher during hmm. the good years, like 55 to 57. And uh, I, 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 I said, to myself, I would never leave this woman for Elizabeth Taylor. I, I would stay with her forever. <laughs> and so she waits for the applause to stop. She got a she got a standing ovation on entrance. She waits for all the noise to stop. She's holding my face in her hands in this little intimate pose. And when all is quiet in the house, she said, you are so fucking thin. I want you to go backstage <laughs> and have a sandwich and report back to me later. And the audience went nuts for two more minutes. He was a very entertaining. So I, I remember the, the week in 2020 when you had your final week at channel four and it was the pandemic and we were all closed in. And, uh, and I, I noticed all the, all the tributes and, you know, I remember my friend Fred Rogan and everybody talking about uh, your your legacy. Why did you decide to walk away when you did? I, you know, I, I just had gotten to a point where uh, I, I thought it was time. The, the business was changing. You had stuff like climate change. I, I was hired as a comedian. I was hired to have fun on the news, to be personality oriented. I always said that my job in a news, a half hour newscast was to be the palate cleanser between the tragedy and the sports. Hmm. That was my job. And and now the whole thing changed. Everything got so graphically complicated. There's AI stuff now in three-dimensional graphics, and there's climate change. And suddenly the whole world's starting to take weather very seriously. And I was totally unqualified to be really serious about the weather. You know, for 40 years, I was Vanna White with maps. <laughs> that was it. I, I would stand there and gesture. And that was it. And But that doesn't work anymore. And so I just thought it was time. Uh, and I decided to retire. And honest to God, like the week I was supposed to retire, the pandemic broke out. So my boss asked me to stay just to transition into doing remote broadcasts from home. So I stayed for an extra month. But but that was it. I, I just thought it was time. I, I, I tell people, even if you love what you do, 40 years is long enough. So I, uh, I you know, I've had conversations with local news directors, uh, TV news directors, and one of them said to me a couple of years ago, you know, we used to fight over threes and fours in terms of ratings. Oh, and, yeah. And now we're fighting over, you know, ones and, you know, uh, one and a half and all that kind yeah. of stuff. What's the state of, of local news, do you think? Well, I think there's always going to be a necessity for local information. And particularly uh, when there's breaking news, that is brush fires or local emergencies where people tune into the news for sometimes life-saving information. I think there's always going to be a need for that. Now, whatever the delivery system of that is, I don't know. Because I'll tell you, streaming television is killing network primetime. Yeah. There's no more appointment television. It used to be uh, a seller's market, like, okay, Seinfeld's on at 8 o'clock, so everybody has to gather around the TV at 8 o'clock. Now you watch it whenever you want to, so it's a buyer's market now. 
it, and it's so different. So uh, to answer your question, I think there will always be a necessity for an outlet for local news, for local politics and emergency stuff and, you know, uh, neighborhood stuff. But the delivery system, I'm not sure about. It might be that local news turns out to be a podcast, like you subscribe to it and then watch it when you get home from work when you want to. I, I don't know. Did you ever get bumped by a high-speed chase? Oh, many times. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, 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 that's so funny. People ask me all the time, whenever I do speaking engagements and I have a question and answer period, people, that's the one question they ask me. Why do they always do these freeway chases? I said, you have to understand. It's business. You know, TV is rated two ways. You can get overnight ratings and then you get sweeps period ratings, which happen four times a year. And that's when your ratings are averaged over a 30-day period. And that's how they set their advertising rates. Well, the overnight ratings are parsed into like 30-second segments. So you can tell where during the day they have these yeah. apps now. You can tell where, where you know, you, they can find whether you're a weak part of the newscast immediately. So when there's a freeway chase, sometimes audiences double and triple from what they normally are because there's this dark fascination. It's like watching a movie. And, and the thing is, they never tune out until it's over. It's like a movie. You're not going to walk out of a James Bond movie before the third act. So people stay to see this guy get his face planted in the asphalt or get arrested or whatever happens. They always hang around. So you have two or three times the normal ratings, people hanging around to the end. And, and the flaw in the Nielsen rating system is that you're averaged. You, you, your ratings are averaged. So if you have one good freeway chase in a 30-day rating period and you do really well, you can win the entire May book, the May rating period. It's, <laughs> right. it's, 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 a, it's a faulty system, but it's the way it works. And I say, if you look at the amount of money, you know, um, my segment getting blown out is no big deal. But when you have a like a, an investigative reporter that went out and did a five-minute package he's been working on for two weeks, and he gets blown out, Look at the labor that is involved in that. Your shooter, your editor, your reporter. There are thousands of dollars in money blown out. They blow out all those commercials, which is thousands of dollars. There has to be a reason. Well, the reason is that if, if, if you do well during one freeway chase, you can win the ratings. And when you win the ratings, you can set your advertising dollars amounts higher. And you, and you win in the long run anyway. It's impossible to describe to people. People always say they hate them, but the truth is they don't hate them. They like them. You know, really. it makes it makes one wonder, you know, are some of these planned oh, to, yeah. get, to we, get ratings? We were convinced that Channel 4 and uh, Channel 7 was staging freeway chases during the news, you know. Just to, you know. I don't know. My husband, he gets a hard-on for this kind of stuff. He goes, <laughs> he goes nuts. He's like, you know, uh, like, you know, we always, we always like to watch the 9 o'clock news, you know, so... You know, a lot of times we're lying in bed and it's like, you know, nine o'clock news is on and uh, I'll come in a little bit later. And he's just uh, my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a car chase. Well, now, you know, they have like uh, they have freeway chase support groups on Twitter where everybody <laughs> notifies everybody. that There's one going on and it spreads like wildfire. It's well, crazy. you know, it's you, you know, it's really crazy about living out here, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. I think we've kind of um, 
it's it, it, it's it's because we see it all the time and you know the the crime of you know someone getting shot after a chase and all that we're kind of desensitized yeah. towards it one time um there was a chase a car chase happening in long beach and i was supposed to meet a friend of mine in la and it was happening right around the time i was to leave my house so i had to wait and then what happened was there was a shootout in the parking lot and someone was killed. So I called her up and I said, I'm going to be a little late. <laughs> I told her what the situation was. And I said, and some guy got killed. And uh, she said, um, okay. Um, so what time do you think you're going to be here? <laughs> I mean, like she didn't have, she didn't have, had no That's sensitivity so that somebody was killed so or, or that I may have been in the crosshairs <laughs> of this car chase. No, I know that's a, you know, you get in a, you, you go past the wreck in the freeway <laughs> and you're only pissed about how late you're going to be for the dentist, but there's four people laying dead by the road. I know that's so fun. <laughs> So you were part of like the your uh, newscast, your Channel Four show. You and and Colleen and Fred and you guys were together for a long time and had great chemistry. Now you're doing a podcast with uh, Louise. How do you how do you account for good chemistry? Like where does that come from? Do you know right away that there's chemistry? Does it develop? How do you view that? That's a great question. I don't think chemistry can be manufactured. I mean, I, I think it's just something that has to naturally evolve. I mean, all of us, uh, Colleen, Chuck, Fred, and I all enjoyed one another. We were the longest running uh, anchor team in Southern California. We were on the air together like 32 years or something. And we were the, also the whitest anchor team in Southern California. So that's the thing. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but that's a great question, Steve. Uh, I, I, and you, I, I don't think you can manufacture chemistry. It's like um, uh, there are shows where you, you, where people fall all over one another, uh, trying to get a word in edgewise, and don't understand that it's a team sport when you when you anchor with other people. I'll tell you a funny story about chemistry that. Uh, that, that happened to me. Steve Edwards, who's is this really accomplished broadcaster. I mean, in your area, he did sports. He did yeah. radio. He I did filled TV. in for Steve on Good Day LA. He's oh, yeah. Okay. Guy. So Good Day LA is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So um, I was in a fashion show with him one time, and I'd never met him before. And this was back when he was hosting uh, Today in LA, or the, the, the Channel 7 show, Good Morning LA, or whatever. Yes. Was with Christina Ferrari, who I did a movie with. So I went up to him and I never met him. And I thought I was going to be really cool and pay him a compliment, which completely backfired on me. I said, I, listen, I don't know how much money you're making, but you are a master of getting the train back on the tracks when she can wander off into hyperspace and completely derail the show, but you have a great skill in gently being able to bring the show back to its center and understand, not, not being condescending to her or critical of her, but just knowing how to course correct. And I thought, you're a master at that. And I, I really see your talent. He said, let me tell you something. That woman has five times as many fans as I have. Hmm. I am very lucky to be on the air with her. And I thought, what a cool, humble thing to say. Yeah. So he just played his part of the job. 
and understood his role that he didn't have to be the primary person, but he was lucky to be there kind of a thing. You know what I mean? So that yeah. was the chemistry he developed over, over time. And I think he was savvy enough to know where he stood. Yeah, I went through that with uh, when I was looking for a radio co-host. They tried a bunch of different people with me. And I mean, it was probably 20 different people. Uh, and ultimately, they wanted my input. And in walked John Ireland one day, and he and I clicked instantaneously. Just like, and, and there was like no question. They knew it. The people we were working for knew it. The people, I, I knew it. He knew it. It was just like, it was, it was a match. So that's why I, I think it's so oh, no, amazing. That, you, you, that's that's a great example of it, and, and that and and you know the, your product is greater than the sum of your parts. After a while, it makes the show even better when both of you are clicking, and when one guy can see uh, what makes the other guy work and can play to it, like having a straight man, Doc Severinsen and, and Johnny Carson, you know, that whole thing. Yeah, well, it is it is a dance, too, especially yeah, when, when, when two people like you work with Louise, you know, when two people yeah. are interviewing somebody, yeah. Um, yeah. it is somewhat of a dance. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So tell me about the podcast. You've been you, I, I noticed uh, I always look first thing I always look at is how many episodes have there been? Because, you know, podcasts sometimes come and sometimes go. People lose track of them. People say you guys have a, a really long run as a show. Tell me the sort of the 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 germ behind the idea for for your your approach to it well my my relationship with uh wheezy is and you might know her radio history she and four other guys started premier radio networks which was a sure. great success story and it was bought by clear channel and all that stuff and she's been my friend for years and she actually produced two of my one-man shows so we've been friends for years and so she was looking for somebody to partner with her uh, after I retired. And so we, she had plenty of experience in the podcasting universe. I had none. And so we decided to do this show called Media Path, which was, you know, Weezy and I have similar interests. We like movies, we like reading. And so what we thought we would do is start every show with what's the latest thing we read, what's the latest thing we saw on streaming and have fun with it and then have a guest. And it kind of took off. But going back to your earlier point, uh, Steve, uh, how ratings are and you cannot. I, I, one thing I, I, I refused to do when I was in TV was to look at the ratings every night. Some guys are obsessed with it. Mm. I can't do that because I just get infinitely depressed. So as soon as you let that go in the podcasting universe, like, OK, right now I have 12 listeners, but I'm just going to do this for fun. And so we, we know that we're, I mean, there are 150,000 podcasts in the world. As soon as we decided it doesn't matter, we'll try to get more listeners, but that's not going to be our primary focus, like ratings and television. Um, then we just relaxed and had fun. And it's, I, I just love the conversation. I, we, we, to answer your question, Weezy and I are interested in the same stuff, but I just love having a conversation with people every day. It's not like we're playing to a big audience and all that. I just like, this is my cat banging on my computer. I'm sorry. What's your cat's uh, name? Cat's name is Alfie. He's bipolar. And right now, mm. he's relatively calm. Leave me alone. I'm doing an interview. But anyway, so uh, I just like the conversation. I, I, I just love it. It's the radio of the future, you know? 
So what's the latest thing that you've watched? You said you talk about, uh, and I've listened to the show, you talk about what you're watching. What What are you burning on right now? What are the you last, watching right uh, now? The last thing I watched was a documentary on Netflix called Winter on Fire, mm. which was about the Orange Revolution in Ukraine in 2014, which is the reason why Putin is pissed off right now because he was beat back during that experience. It's really, I would recommend it. It's a great primer to people who want to understand what's going on over there. Bless their hearts. So uh, it, I saw that. I saw the series Inventing Anna. Did you see oh, that? Yes. Oh, oh my oh, God. Maybe oh. you want to just grab some of those rich people and slap them. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so good. Yeah. So yeah, good. well, we I, I just watched um, uh, based on we, we interviewed Michelle Beadle the other day and Steve and Beadle were talking about Tinder Swindler. Have oh, you seen man, that? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, how they, that? You know what they should uh, you know how at revival houses, they'll take two movies that fit really well together in their show. Inventing Anna and Tinder Swindler are kind of in that same category. People who just are completely deceiving and yeah. fooling people. <laughs> and, and then, and I, and I know that there are crooked people. I, usually, I just want to grab these people and shake them. What is wrong with you, lady? What did you think you were going to get out of this? <laughs> but, but, but also like with Tinder swindler, I mean, I'm not going to give anything away here. You know what the, what the gist of it is just yeah. because I brought it up, but it's people who have had such a, sh uh, a short, relationship with somebody and will do something so careless with someone that they really don't know that no, well, no, like 100%. when it, especially when it comes to money, like 100%. I don't, I'm uncomfortable lending friends money. There's always <laughs> like, a, you know what I mean? There's like a weird thing when you with no, money and friends no. and here you are giving someone you hardly know thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's a repetitive thing. It's like, Oh, Something happened again. Oh, my money didn't go through. Oh, you know, oh, the wire. Oh, it's an international thing. And how somebody, like, at what point do you just say, something is really, really fishy no. here? You know what I compared? I compared uh, Inventing Anna to Six Degrees of Separation, which was a great movie. Right. Will mm -hmm. Smith fooled everybody. It's the in same that thing yeah. about how rich people are so, you, you would think they would be the most intelligent people on the planet. They are so easily bamboozled. If somebody knows how to play to their egos and knows how to drop the right names, they fall in line. It's unbelievable to me how easily they're BSed. It's crazy. Plus, how great was Anna's accent? How great. <laughs> oh, I thought it was so great. I thought you're so basic. You're such a basic person. <laughs> what, what was what was her accent? Though? Well, I, my understanding it was supposed is, to be Russian. By the end of the series, it was I don't know what it was. I don't know. It was, it was like Southern. It was like Southern Russian or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is a good one. She was it like from one. the I don't know. She was like from the Ozarks or something. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess actually that's where she. Uh, She's a star on that series, which yes. I've never seen. The people love Ozark. Oh, it's it's real good. You should watch it. Yeah, people do love Ozark. People do love Ozark. Hey, uh, listen, this has been great, man. Uh, it is. Uh, I, I really I, appreciate being invited on. Thank you so much. You guys do a great job. Uh, we watched it for years, watched it for years, and listened to your podcast now. The podcast is called Media Path. It's available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, you can go to Media Path podcast.com. Fritz, pleasure having you. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for doing this. 
I'm a fan of yours. Thank you so much. Good to see you, Sue. Good to see you. Are you doing this? Let me ask, are you doing any performing now or is that past? That's past. Good for that's, you. That's that's media past. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a big smile on your face. I can tell you. I mean, you don't miss going to the deli smoker and playing to audiences that are facing the other direction. Come on. You know, you know, I, I did go back to it some years ago and uh and 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 had a fair amount of fun. Yeah. But you know what? I, 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 it wasn't, you got to do it all the time. No, That's do. the thing. And, um, and it just, uh, you know, I was forgetting jokes and, you know, it's like, nah, uh, I it's not, well, I, I, I'm happy to see you. Happy to see you too. Fritz Coleman there. You know, it's funny. He was talking about being in your living room. Fritz Coleman for so many people has, uh, he was in their living room for 40 years. And the impact of that is unbelievable. It's funny because when I met him, he was not a weatherman. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I turned on the TV one day and he's doing the weather. It was like, oh, I just saw you at the improv the other night. Um, but there's something about him that's so cozy. Yeah. Um, his voice. I can listen to his voice. Like that's the kind of voice that like should like read people to sleep. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's just, and not that he puts you to sleep. I don't, I don't mean it <laughs> in a negative way. He just has such a, a comforting, um, you just feel safe with him. So, okay. So I, I heard the end of the conversation there and I've got this idea for, for a documentary that I'm going to pitch. Okay. okay. So it's called one last set. And the idea is that we follow a 65 year old, uh, former standup with her working through an actual last set. And then you get up and do, uh, a, uh, a, a go to a stand up club and and do a show. What do and you think? And it's my last set. <laughs> it's your last set. It's your last. Even set. If, even even if it's great, it's my last set. Even if it, yeah, because you just want to do it one last time, just one last time. What do you think? Well, I mean, I don't know if it if it warrants a documentary, but it could be uh, it could be a short film. Maybe. It would be a short film. Yeah, where, where you're following somebody, um, gathering their material, going and trying it out. You know. Um, you know, I, I years ago, there was a guy that I had worked with um, in, in reality TV. He was a producer and he started doing stand up uh, late in life. And he wanted to do this thing. He was set out to do famous after 100. Okay. So it was 100 sets. And he was trying to get famous after doing 100 sets. Wow. And I said, well, that is a great idea for a documentary. So I started to follow him around and I filmed him going to the improv. And then I said to him, uh, he was going home to visit his family. And I said, I want, when you go home, I want you, um, you need to like go and, and see teachers that, um, that you had growing up, um, people that you work for, mm -hmm. people in the neighborhood, your family, and get like a whole background package together. And we'll, we'll just keep on shooting you doing your sets and see you know, where, where it takes you. And maybe the goal is uh, maybe to get a TV spot or, yeah. or, you know, and then he, he just never. Did he do a good it. set? Well, when I went to see him, he, he was at the improv and he was really, really funny. Oh, so and, mine and I, well, it, it, it's, it's, he's, he's completely out of show business now, but it was something that I thought was a really, really great idea for a documentary, but he just didn't. One last that. set. The Sue <laughs> Kalinsky story. I don't know. I don't know. 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I just not really interested in doing stand. You anymore. did it, by the way, you did it more recently than you let, like you've done it since we started doing this show, which is about three years old, right? You had done. I did a couple of, I did like maybe five sets. Yeah. Like three years ago. Yeah. Cause didn't you do like woman of a certain age? Didn't you do a stand-up? Yes, I did. Show I, like yeah. That? I did a, I did a couple of uh, her shows when she came out here. Yeah. And then I did a show at uh, Wendy Levin's place where actually Fritz, he performs there a lot. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Fritz, great guy. Uh, mm-hmm. That was really, really fun. Uh, Sue, great seeing you as always. We want to remind everybody that they can subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a rating and leave us a review. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>